We're in John chapter number one this morning. When I was young, pretty much when my head hit the pillow, I was out. And I was out until the alarm woke me up the next morning. I don't know if you remember those days or not, but when I was young, that's the way it was. Now that I've gotten older, it sometimes takes a little bit longer to get to sleep. And in the middle of the night, waking up is part of the routine. By that point, I'm already at least partly rested, and so getting back to sleep is a little more difficult than it was to go to sleep in the first place. So you're in the middle of the night, you're awake, and you're wanting to go back to sleep, but it's not quite that easy. Many of you are understanding exactly what I'm talking about. Also, these are strange days. There's lots of things that need to be thought through in these days. No, I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't lay awake at night trying to discover the cure for COVID. I don't lay awake trying to figure out how to keep the economy running. I don't try to figure out if the elections in the fall are going to be honest or not. Those problems are far beyond my scope of knowledge and my scope of influence. But in my own little world, there are plenty of things that need to be thought through and properly dealt with. You know, as I've said before, they don't amount to a hill of beans in the overall spectrum of the world. But no matter else what happens, they are my little slice of that spectrum. And I want my little slice in that I want to fulfill the perfect will of God in my little world. So you lay awake at night and trying to think through these things. But I'm telling you right now, 3 o'clock in the morning is not the ideal time to be thinking about these things and trying to discover their answers. So, about 10 days ago, I began quoting John chapter number 1 when I would go back to bed. It's a familiar passage to me. I've memorized it long ago, and so I would lay at night quoting John chapter number 1. Instead of contemplating the problems and things that need to be, or instead of counting the proverbial sheep, I have been quoting John chapter number 1. So for the past 10 days, I have been lulled to sleep meditating on these words. After the first few nights, certain things started to pop out to me. And after about a week, a message began to develop. It's just one of those work-a-day messages. You know what I mean by that? It's just a work-a-day message. Michelangelo painted the, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Leonardo da Vinci painted the Mona Lisa. But when you boil it, they're, they're works of art, but no, no doubt about it. But when you boil it all down, the guy who paints the signs that are along the street, the traffic signs along the street, has a lot more help and influence in your life. In fact, his signs have affected you far more than all of da Vinci's and Michelangelo's paintings put together. That's a workaday message. It's just one of those practical workaday messages. John chapter number one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Title of this morning's message, There Was a Man. There Was a Man. Let's pray. Father, you know we cannot get there from here unless you take us by your Spirit. The destination is your perfect will and the conforming of us to the image of Jesus Christ. And for each of us here, that means something slightly different. But Father, we don't expect to meet our needs. We expect you to. For you have promised that you would do so. And it was purchased for us by our Savior. And so in his rights, we claim our rights that you would do for us what we so desperately need. And we ask in all of this, your name would be honored and glorified. And we would worship at your feet. For we ask this in the precious name and worth of our Savior. Amen. Obviously from the title, the message is going to point at man. With a title like, there was a man, what else could it be doing? But before we turn our eyes that way, let us set our focus properly. The focus of John chapter number 1 is not on John the Baptist, but on the Word. The focus is on Jesus Christ, the righteous. So before we look at man, we'd better first set our focus on him. Look at verse number 9. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Of course, Jesus Christ should always be the focus. He is the sum and substance of everything. In Revelation, John says he's the Alpha and the Omega. Both Peter and Paul call him the chief cornerstone. As John read this morning, he is the author and finisher of our faith. Solomon said, he is altogether lovely. Peter said, Christ is precious to the believer. If you were to take up the subject of the person of Jesus Christ, you are to be immediately out of your depth. And you can know for sure when you take up the subject of Jesus Christ that your words will be inadequate no matter how eloquent your lips are. The only real hope for us 
to understand the person of Jesus Christ is through the blessed Holy Spirit who was given to us to reveal Christ to us. And it is in the power of the Holy Spirit to glorify Christ that we rest this morning. And we gladly take up the task of setting our focus on Jesus Christ. Any Christian who even slightly knows Jesus Christ can say with George Mueller, I delight to speak well of his name. It is my happy lot this morning to speak well of Jesus Christ. There's so much to say about Christ and we don't have time for all of it. So let's just look at what the passage here refers to. It refers to Christ as, among other things, the light. Now what does that tell us? When we think about what light does, it reveals something to us about Christ. Light reveals. Yesterday, Carol wanted to take a picture of something out in the garage. Now, in our garage, we have four light fixtures. In that part of the garage, we have four light fixtures, and there are three bulbs per light fixture. That gives us a total of, mathematicians, 12 bulbs. So she turns on the lights, and she goes out into the garage with 12 light bulbs shining. And I went out into the garage wanting the picture to be accurate. I opened the garage door. And everybody here understands exactly what that means. Because when I open up the garage door, the sun shines into the garage. And now, all of the, when she takes this picture, it is an accurate portrayal of what we have. All of its goodness, all of its badness is displayed within that picture. If you left the garage door closed, some of its defects would be hidden. But when you open it and you let the light shine in, all of the defects are there in their full glory. Light reveals. This, my friend, is why men hide from God. This is why in the world today, darkness is preferred. Because when Jesus Christ, the light of the world, shines, all of the defects of men are exposed. Men hide from this light and they curse the light because he exposes their flaws and their shortcomings. No, don't make no mistake, he doesn't cause their flaws, he just reveals them. You know, men in their foolishness wish that the light of the world were not quite so bright. They wish that they could hide their defects and appear a little better than what they are. Did you know this is terribly foolish thinking? To wish that your defects could be hidden? Let me ask you one simple question. Would you like to live for all eternity as you are? Would you like to live for all eternity as you are? You are. You know, the fact of the matter is most people look at their shortcomings and are disgusted with themselves. You look at all of the failures, you look at your past, and you are disgusted. And you know, you, okay, we're only going to be here a short time, 
80, 70, 80 years, whatever that is. And so we can put up with it for that long. Some people can't even put up with it for that long. But if you had to say, I got to be this way for the rest of eternity, you would not be able to handle it. You look at yourself and you think, how, think of all the messes you had made by the time you were 15 or 20 or 25 years old. And you look back and you think, if I had all of it, if I made that much mess in 15 years, what could I do in an eternity of this? And if that were the case, you could not handle it if you had to be as you are for the rest of eternity. This is why it's such foolish thinking to think, if I could just make myself appear a little, if the light wasn't quite so bright, I wouldn't appear so bad. Hiding our defects and hoping God will overlook is no solution to the problem. Jesus Christ, the light, does not do that. His light makes our sin stand out like splotches of mud on a wedding dress. They are shocking when we look at Christ. Our defects are shocking. Now, if that's all that the light did, it would be a cruelty to show us our sin just to rub our faces in it. To show us our sin would be devilish if that's all it was. In fact, isn't that exactly what the devil does to you? Of course, he tricks you into the sin, and then he keeps rubbing your face in it and tempting you to despair and tormenting you with it. Jesus Christ does not do that. To hide your sin would be less than truthful. To mock you with your sin would be only cruelty. But Christ revealed that sin in us so that it could be dealt with. As verse number 14 tells us, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ, our Savior, came. The light of the world took on a human body. Why did he do such a thing? Because the light had revealed our sin. He took that sin upon himself and was punished for our sin. He paid the sin debt so that verse 12 could be written. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The light revealed the sin. He paid for the sin so that we would not have to live the rest of our lives for eternity in that sin. Isn't that not a wonder? Is that not a blessed promise? that you do not have to live as you are for all of eternity because Jesus Christ, the light, revealed that sin and then dealt with that sin. Is it any wonder that Christ is precious to the believer? Is it any wonder that we delight to speak well of his name? We focus on Jesus Christ. It is our happy lot to tell of Christ and to confess him before others. Now, as we've set our focus on the Lord, let us not lose that 
but turn our eyes to the secondary person in the passage and see what we can learn from him. There was a man. Verse number 6. Do not lose your eyes off of Christ, but let us see what this other man can teach us. Verse number 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Four quick thoughts concerning this man and what he can teach us. Number one, God uses people. God uses people. Now, please don't be so foolish as, and use that in the common vernacular of those terms. He was just using me. Okay, that's not what we're using here. God does not use people. He does not take advantage of people. All right? If you've been coming to the Sunday night lessons, you know that God is self-existent. He doesn't need anybody. It would be foolishness to think that God would need something that you could provide and would have to use us, okay? But that is a common thought that God is using us to his advantage. That is not accurate. He does use people by definition of that. He allows people to be a part of what he is doing. God uses people. Now, let's put the, the fine point on this. In heaven, there are legions of angels. There are beasts and beings that we are totally unfamiliar with. But very rarely in the Bible do you see God accomplishing his will using an angel. There are a few times when the angels come and do the work for God. But what you find in the scripture, completely through the scripture, is God picking out a man and working through him. God uses people. I don't know if you're a very good debater or not, but you would not have to be a very good debater to win the argument that angels could perform those tasks much more efficiently than men. You wouldn't have to be much of a debater to debate that one. An angel would not get sidetracked. An angel wouldn't get distracted. An angel wouldn't forget. An angel wouldn't disobey. An angel actually has some power. It would be easy for us to say, all in all, everybody would agree that any work that God once done on the planet would be more likely to be accomplished correctly if it were assigned to an angel. But the fact remains, God uses people. Weak and fickle and unreliable and vain and foolish and selfish and unintelligent and opinionated as we are, God uses people. What does that mean? It means that in the work that needs done in the lives of the people around you, if it's going to get done, if you're waiting on an angel or some of those creatures from heaven to do it, it's not going to happen. God uses people. There was a man. God uses people. Number two. God has a specific place for you. Number one, God uses people. Number two, God has a specific place for you. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
God had this all worked out. Here's a man, his name is John, this specific name, they're talking about John the Baptist here. He has a specific place. In the passage, God is going to use a man to do a job, and that man's name was John. It was interesting, the work that John had been given. John was the forerunner of Christ. He was, the, he was going to baptize the Lord. He was going to eat locusts and wild honey. He was going to preach repentance to the people there. This man named John was given a very specific task to do. Do you know that you also have been given a task? You also have a place. Your time and place is not the same as his. You probably won't wear a camel hair or leather shirt in all of your life, and your diet was probably not going to be locusts and wild honey. Some of that stuff that Carol makes on that trim, healthy mom, never mind, we won't even go to that spot. <laughs> that just slipped out. Let me <laughs> I'll be wearing a camel hair shirt next week. <laughs> uh, hmm. God has given a specific task for you. He's not going to call in an angel or some creature to do it for you. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. In the mind of God, we could find it written, there was a man sent from God whose name was Craig. There was a man sent from God whose name was Steve. There was a man sent from God whose name was Dirk. There was a woman sent from God whose name was Betty. There was a woman sent from God whose name was Kathy. There was a woman sent from God whose name was Jewel. God uses people to accomplish his will. He has set each one of us to a specific time and place. My place is not exactly the same as yours. There is some overlap here, of course. But each of us have been sent to our own families, to our own neighbors, to our own co-workers, to this community, to this country. You have your own spot to which you have been sent. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. God uses people and God has a specific place for you. Number three, your task is to bear witness of the light. Your task is to bear witness of the light. Verse number seven, six and seven. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. The same came for a witness to bear witness of that light. Your task is to bear witness of the light. John was sent as a forerunner of Christ. His job was in essence to say, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. John's job was not to make a name for himself. His job was not to amass a great fortune. His no, job was not to become the envy of his neighbors or to uh, be sent to, com to compete for the accolades of the world. He was sent to bear witness of the light. And so it is with each of us. 
we have been put in the spot in which we are at to bear witness to those around us of that light. You were not sent here to amass a great fortune. You were not sent here to outdo the world in its recreation. You were not sent here to make a name for yourself. You not, were not sent here so that a statue could be created in your honor. You were not sent here to see how comfortable you could make it on this planet. God uses people, and you were sent to the spot that you are in to bear witness of the light in that spot. I think verse number 8 is incredibly pointed on this. He was not that light, talking about John the Baptist. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. The people in Israel at that time became followers of John. He was out there eating locusts and wild honey. He was wearing this camel and leather garment. He was preaching up a storm, and people began to follow him until Christ began his earthly ministry. In John chapter number 3, the followers came running to John the Baptist and said, The one that you were testifying of is teaching and baptizing, and everyone is starting to follow him. And what does John say? In essence, he says, Haven't I been saying I am not the Christ, but I am sent to sent before him. And then he says a classic statement. He must increase and I must decrease. He was not sent to bear witness of himself. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. My friend, it is so easy to fall into this trap of testifying of yourself and not of the true light. Some of these things are painful to me, but I will reveal them in the hopes that they will be a help to you. There are many things in my past that make me want to hang my head in shame. Probably none more than this. And some of you will understand what I'm about to say, and some of you won't. I guess it doesn't really matter one way or the other. If you understand, it'll be a help. If you don't, it's just there. How it happened, I do not know. But in my early years of ministry, I began subconsciously or subconsciously to work drawing people to myself to make them like me, to think well of me. That was not the end, but a means to an end. I wanted them to love Christ. So the idea was... Win them to myself, and then win them to Christ. Now that sounds good, and it was even well-intentioned. But the reality is that it's just a promotion of self. And the question often rings in my head, how many teenagers did I win to myself that never got won to Christ? I don't even want to know the answer of that because it's too painful. All that changed one day when I was on my face before the Lord in my office and the Holy Spirit gave me these words and I wrote them down and they have been on my desk ever since. If teenagers love me and they don't love God, then I have been promoting the wrong person. It's as simple as that. I am not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. 
That is the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Some might argue, oh, so I don't have to win people to myself. If they, have, they, they don't have to like me, then I can just be a jerk to everybody while I point them to Christ. Well, let's put, put this down on the bottom shelf. You know what the reality is? I'm a jerk. The reality is, I am a jerk. I am proud, I am opinionated, I am vain, I am selfish, I am egotistical, I am petty, I am irritating, I am foolish, I am uncaring. That's the real me. If you have not seen that, and I hope that you haven't, it is because Jesus Christ, it is not I, but Christ liveth in me. So why should I take credit for what he does? We are not the light, but are sent to bear witness of the light. It's also very interesting. Do you know what the Lord said about John the Baptist? In Luke chapter number 7, John the Baptist, he says about John the Baptist, Among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Now that's quite a statement, is it not? This is what the Lord said. Among those that are born among, of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. And what did John say about himself? I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. He didn't say, hey, I am the, I'm the greatest prophet among women. What he said is, me, I'm just a voice here. I am pointing you to the true light. I am not the light. I am pointing you to the light. He must increase and I must decrease. Your job here on this planet, the task that you are sent to do, is to bear witness of the light. My friend, God uses people to accomplish his work. He has sent you to a specific place. And your task in that place is to bear witness of the light. And point number four. Time is limited. Time is limited. There was a man. The Apostle John did not say, there is a man. He said, there was a man. By the time that the Apostle John writes these words, there is no longer a man named John the Baptist living on this planet. Herod had him beheaded for Herodias' sake, and the place that John had occupied was no longer occupied by him. There was a man. Acts chapter number 13 says, David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep. There was a man. I was reading the church constitution this week. I try every year to read the constitution just to make sure that we're doing everything as we ought to be doing. And in the back of that booklet, there's a short history of the church. And it lists four names of ladies who basically started this church. In that history, it lists the four ladies who basically started that. None of them are still living. 
if we could go back and check the church rolls down through the years, all of the people who were used of the Lord to keep this church going, if we could have that whole list of everybody who had ever helped keep this church going, most of those people are gone. Open the church directory. It's only just a few years old. And you will see the faces of people that we knew and loved who are no longer with us. Whatever their place was here, it is no longer occupied by them. Their ability to bear witness of the light is now limited to the memories that the people have of them. Did you catch that? Their ability to bear witness of the light is now limited to the memories that people have of them. There was a man. There was a man. Time is so very short. All too soon, that will be said of us. There was a man. All too soon, that will be the description of us. And the only ability to bear witness of the light will be now limited to the memories that people have of you. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light that lighteth all, every man that cometh into the world. God uses people to accomplish his work. You have been sent to a specific place. The task that you were given is to bear witness of the light. And time is so very short. Will you have accomplished that task in your place before your place is unoccupied. There was a man.